This is Commissioner Muhammad calling to order the Port of Seattle's Audit Committee special meeting. Today is Thursday, December 14th, and the time is 10.07. We are meeting today at the Port of Seattle's headquarter commission chambers and virtually via uh, Microsoft Teams platform. Present with me today is Commissioner Sam Cho, who's on virtually, and public member Sarah Holmstrom. To make this meeting more accessible to the public, the meeting is being live streamed and digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the Port of Seattle website. A call-in telephone number is also provided for anyone who would like to listen into the meeting. Our first item of business is approval of our last meeting minutes from September 7, 2023. As a reminder to the viewing audience, uh, the public member of the audit committee is not a voting member for the purposes of casting votes on motions made per committee rules. Are there any corrections to the minutes? Hearing none, there are, are there any objections to approval of the minutes as presented? Great, hearing none, the minutes are approved. Our next order of business is the Moss Adam 2023 Financial Statement Audit Engagement Service Plan. Mr. Fernandez, please introduce our speakers today. Good morning, Commissioner Muhammad. Um, we have Olga is going to be out today, Olga Darlington, the partners. We have Anna Waldron and Connor McCauley from uh, Moss Adams that will be talking about their 2023 financial statement audit. So with that, Anna, I'll push the button. The floor is yours. Great. Thank you. And thank you for pulling up our slides. Uh, thank you to the audit committee uh, for meeting with us this morning to be briefed on our upcoming 2023 financial statement audit, which is performed by Moss Adams. As Glenn mentioned, Olga Darlington's the engagement partner. She unfortunately had a conflict today, but Connor and I have both served on the audit for a number of years. We're looking forward to talking with you today. You can move on to the next slide, please. Um, just a brief agenda today covering uh, what to be expected during our upcoming audit, and then we'll be back in the May-June timeframe to report on the results of our actual audit procedures. Next slide, please. Um, here is the service team uh, that works on the Port of Seattle audit. Uh, a couple of notes here. Uh, we do occasionally, uh, every couple of years, update our QC engagement partner uh, reviewer. So we are introducing Ashley this year. Um, she provides a QC review over our work. We update that every couple of years just to get a fresh set of eyes, make sure um, we haven't missed anything the last couple of years. And then we do also have a couple of members um, that perform IT audit services, both Kim and Jose. Um, they provide uh, testing over internal controls that are over the financial reporting systems that feed into the audit. Next slide, please. Um, and then just a quick reminder on the scope of services that we provide. So Moss Adams is your external financial statement auditor. We come in annually to perform an audit of the financial statements. Uh, this year will be the December 31st, 2023 year end. We do also perform a compliance audit over the federal awards that are received by the Port of Seattle, as well as a compliance audit over the Port of Seattle's passenger facility charge program. 
And then we do publish a final report over the schedule of net revenues available for revenue bond service. And then we do have a few uh, additional limited procedures that we perform. So accompanied with the financial statements in the uh, ACPR is some supplementary information, the management discussion and analysis, uh, and some supplemental schedules related to the pension and other post-employment benefit plans that the Port of Seattle has. We do review the information that's included in there and perform li limited procedures there. And then we also, at the end of our audit, perform two agreed-upon procedure engagements, which are required by the State of Washington Department of Ecology and the EPA. Next slide, and turn it over to Connor. Yeah, hi, Connor McCauley, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm just gonna touch on our responsibilities. So our responsibility um, with the audit is to assess whether the financial statements prepared by management um, are presented fairly in all material respects uh, in accordance with U.S. GAAP. To do this, we'll perform an audit in accordance with the generally accepted auditing standards and government auditing standards. Um, as part of this, we're going to have a consideration over internal controls over the financial um, reporting process, and we will also communicate any findings that we have that we deem you know are relevant to bring to the attention of those charged with governance. And then, when applicable, we'll also communicate any um, like legal matters or regulatory matters. You know, next slide, please. Uh, so there's kind of two um, times where we communicate to the committee um, those charged with governance at the beginning of the audit and the end of the audit. The beginning of the audit today, we're going over um, the responsibilities of um, the auditor ourselves and kind of the scope, the last couple of slides there, and then we'll reconvene um, in the May, April-May timeframe <clears throat> to go over our audit findings. Uh, any corrected or uncorrected misstatements, kind of if applicable, and then any other findings that we deem relevant um, to those charged with governance. Next slide, please. So some of the significant audit areas, um, I'll talk about timing in a bit, but we performed our interim procedures, which kind of um, were around more internal controls over the financial reporting process, as well as other significant business cycles, such as cash receipts and disbursements, um, payroll, and then project monitoring, and kind of construction and process cost additions. Um, and then in final, over in February and March timeframe, we'll get more of a substantive testing into um, like the existence and valuation of capital assets, uh, as well as the classification between construction and process and depreciating capital assets. Uh, this year there is a new GASB standard, GASB 96, so we'll be testing the implement implementation of that, and Anna will kind of touch a little more on that in a bit. Uh, we also go over revenue recognition, um, lease revenue, and other forms of revenue. And then the other side of that is the valuation of receivables and at year end if they're collectible or not. Um, and then anytime there's management estimates, a significant portion of judgments involved. So we take a look at the significant estimates, which include the environmental remediation liability, uh, legal reserves, and pension assumptions. And then we also will perform a uh, single audit over federal laws and regulations um, as it relates to the uniform grant guidance. Next slide, please. Uh, yeah. So our audit timeline here, uh, in September we had kind of preliminary meetings with management to get an idea of just activity throughout the year, which then helped us plan our, um, our risk assessment and plan the audit. 
In October, we did our interim testing, as I mentioned, primarily around internal controls. Uh, and then our IT team also came out and did some testing over uh, IT systems, any significant systems. And then in December, we have this meeting. We're going over kind of our um, required communications and planning. And then in January, we're coming out I don't know if we're coming out, but we will be performing our uh, testing over the implementation of GASB 96. And then March and April is like our final field work where we're going to be doing those substantive testing over significant audit areas mentioned above, including our single audit and um, uh, PFC audit. And then in the end of April, we will hopefully before April 30th, but no later than April 30th, we will um, kind of do our final QC review and issue our audit report. Uh, and then in May, we'll come back for our closing communications. And after that, we will begin May, June timeframe, our agreed upon procedures that Anna mentioned earlier. Next slide, please. All right, and then the Last item we wanted to cover with you today is just uh, new GASB statements that are applicable for this year. You may recall from last year, GASB 87, which was the new leasing standard, was a, a very heavy lift for management. Uh, GASB, unfortunately, didn't give us too much of a breather this year. There's a few additional big new pronouncements, um, but after this year, it's looking a little bit uh, less heavy going forward. So the two significant uh, GASB statements that are applicable for this year would be GASB statement number four and GASB statement number six. Uh, number four is related to public-private and public-public partnerships. Um, management is currently assessing whether there will be any arrangements that they have that fall in the scope of this guidance, um, but currently we're not expecting a significant impact from GASB 94. GASB 96 um, is similar to the leasing standard that was adopted in the prior year. So GASB 96 relates to subscription information technology arrangements. So any um, like ERP subscription arrangements that the port may have um, will need to be placed on the financial statements both as a uh, right of use IT assets and a corresponding liability, uh, similar to what they did with leases. So management is underway with that assessment, and as Connor mentioned, we are expecting that we'll be able to come in early January to complete that testing and have that mostly wrapped up before we're getting into the final field work time. So do appreciate management as always being on top of that adoption and being ready for us to test a bit early. Uh, GASB 99, 100, and 101, uh, not significant impacts expected, and those are on the horizon. Next slide, please. And that does close out our uh, remarks. So if there are any questions that we can answer, please let us know. Thank you, Anna and Connor, for the presentations. Are there any questions from the committee members? All right, if there are no additional questions from, uh, or additional information from the Moss Adams team, I just would like to say thank you uh, for being here today. And we look forward to hearing a clean audit when you guys return. <laughs> Thank you for your time. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. So I'll move us along. Item number four on the agenda is the RL Townsend and Association Construction Audit Service Annual Report. Glenn, please introduce this item and the presenters. Thank you, Commissioner. Online, we've got um, Debbie Townsend, president of um, RL Townsend Associates. We've got Patricia Farrell, 
Shear and Rachel Smith. Now, they've looked at, they look at the GCCM projects that we have, and by RCW uh, requirement, all GCCM projects have to be audited by an independent auditor. So this is real-time auditing that they're doing in our projects. There's two, the main terminal low voltage and the C1 uh, concourse expansion, the C1 building expansion. So whilst they're working, uh, they'll give you an overview of what they're seeing. It's a brief year-end. Now remember, this is, th they looked at two next year. We've got even more GCCM projects in, in the pipeline. So a lot of stuff that's uh, going to be looked at. With that, um, Debbie, I'll pass it over to you and your team. And uh, you can take it from here. You can unmute and please care. Okay, thank you very much for having us um, participate today. And um, I am going to turn it over to Rachel, who um, has done the majority of the work and <clears throat> has the um, information um, I, I think that everybody's looking for. So thank you. Okay, thank you all. And I will just introduce as well Patricia. She is the project executive um, also on our project. So I'm Rachel Smith. Um, and I'll be going over our status. Uh, our first project that we've been working on is the main terminal low voltage project. Um, so as Glenn said, our scope of work is reviewing the ECCM um, portion of that work. So we're reviewing their pre-construction and construction invoices and confirming the billings are in accordance with the contract. So to date, we have reviewed 27 pre-construction payouts and have identified um, potential audit issues, and these have been um, summarized and included in our audit question log or our AQ log. These items have been sent over to the Port of Seattle and the GCCM, which is Mortensen on this project. Um, we are currently working to, for a resolution to uh, resolve these items. And then on the construction portion, we've reviewed eight payouts so far. Um, and the difference with the construction payouts is we are reviewing these on a monthly ba uh, monthly basis. So any audit items are being identified and resolved before the payout is approved. Um, so the idea being at the end of the audit, it's a final true up and there shouldn't be any major um, issues because everything should be identified on a monthly basis. I will mention a couple items that have, have been identified in the pre-construction review so far. Um, those items mostly relate to labor. Um, the first one being that the Port of Seattle has an approved list of personnel um, for the ECCM that are allowed to work on the project. And during the review, there are several individuals that have been billed um, in the pre-construction payups that are not on uh, that approved list. So these items, it's possible that they would be resolved quickly. Um, the port may have approved some of these individuals and we just don't know about it. So hopefully after discussions with the port um, and Mortensen, these items will be resolved. And then the second issue that was identified is there are individuals billed um, at rates that exceeded the approved Port of Seattle rates included in the subcontract. Uh, next slide, please. And the second project we're working on is a phase C1 building expansion. So on this project, there are three, um, three subcontractors, the MCCM, uh, which is Apollo, the ECCM, which is VECA, and the 
EWCM, which is Crown Core. And our scope of work is the same, um, same as the uh, main terminal project. We're reviewing uh, the pre-construction and construction invoices for each of these subcontractors and making sure they're in, in accordance with the contract. Um, so to date, we have reviewed 28 pre-construction pay apps and have also identified issues, uh, potential issues. Uh, these have, have been summarized in the audit question log and have been sent to Port of Seattle and Turner for review. Um, we're currently pending a resolution on all of these items. And as far as the construction goes, we have reviewed 15 pay apps to date. And say, similar to the main terminal project on the construction side, we're reviewing these pay apps uh, on a real-time basis. So every month, <clears throat> every month we review these, identify any potential issues, send comments over to um, to Turner and the Port of Seattle and get them resolved before the payoffs approved. Um, the issues so far that have been identified are basically the same labor issues um, that were discussed on the main terminal project. Uh, the individuals, billing for individuals that have not been approved in the subcontract and individuals billed at rates that exceed the subcontract rates. Uh, there, one additional item is minimal backup documentation on change orders. That's been identified and um, that's being worked and resolved um, with the Port of Seattle and Turner. So those are our updates. Uh, are there any, any questions? Thank you for the presentation. Are there any questions from the committee members? I don't have any questions, but I just want to thank you for uh, your thorough audit of uh, of this. Um, we all, I think, we always struggle with um, questions around whether things should be design build, design bid build, or GCCM. And I know this goes into the weeds of things, but these audits really help us inform some of the approaches that we take on our capital projects. So, so really appreciate the work. Thank you. Any questions, sir? No. Okay. I have a quick question too, in addition to Commissioner Cho. Um, what's the turn turnaround expected time that you guys um, are waiting for to receive the information about the billings for individuals not identified in the subcontracts? We're anticipating early next year, probably January, February, to get those items resolved. And then when for, will for, it for, Sorry. Say the last part again. Oh, for the pre-construction items. And when will that come back to committee? I, I can um, answer Patricia, that. Probably, uh, Rachel, you know, our next audit committee meeting will likely be in March. So I, I anticipate your report will be, will have data and numbers in it by then, right? Great. So we will yes. be able to share yes. that with the committee at that point. Great. Okay. That's yeah. perfect. Thank you for that answer. Um, and I, I thank you guys for your work and uh, we look forward to the additional information you'll bring to us. If there's no additional questions, I'm going to move us along. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So item number five on the agenda is the outreach project updates. Glenn, please proceed with the presentation. Thank you, commissioners. And um, thank you to the RL Townsend folks. Uh, yeah, as always, they're great business partners and a vast trove of knowledge. Um, 
Next slide, please. So, so Commissioner, item five on the agenda is our outreach program. If, if uh, Commissioner Muhammad, if you recall, earlier in the year, uh, you know, when we had the ACH fraud, we talked about uh, helping smaller businesses, helping the community build better controls. So the first phase, this is just an update on that. The first phase is we updated our website with a variety of tools for them and links as to how they can, you know, from a cyber perspective and general business controls, be better. So we provided resources to, to them and um, you know, directed them to our website. Now, now the outreach continues. You know, it's both in-house and, out, and outside. Internally, uh, Rumi Okuma from our team, who's uh, sitting out in the back, uh, has actually gone out and um, conducted in-house trainings at the port at new employee orientation. You know, it's the first phase, and we've kind of built up a program that we start internally, mm -hmm. and then we're going to expand and, and go even further externally with small businesses. Uh, next slide, please. As, as you can see, the, the next phase, you know, that's Rumi teaching a course uh, in 2D East at Pier 69. Uh, but phase three, when we talk about our plan, we're going to be touching a lot of small businesses, several small businesses. And one of the things we do in our opening meetings, uh, we're integrating into that, is having a brief presentation on basic controls and things that they should do, um, talk a little bit about cybersecurity, and uh, guide them to our website so, so they have the tools. So we are going to make sure that they're paying us correctly in all the key elements mm -hmm. there. But rather than just um, you know, focus on that element, uh, we can bring a lot of tools to them. So this is just a quick update as to where we stand. and. Uh, you know, provide you with uh, information that, you know, your program is up and running and, and we continue to move forward with it. Thank you for sharing that information and thanks for the work that you guys are doing on that. It will, um, I, I think that was a, a the um, cyber sort of attack that we had was, gave us an opportunity to be able to look at what we're doing and help some of those smaller organizations on how to make improvements and that protects them, that protects our dollars. And so I just appreciate you guys being proactive and, and engaging on this. Are there any questions from our committee members? Thank you for that update again. So I'll move us along to item number six on the agenda, which is an update on the 2023 audit plan. Please proceed with the presentation on this item. Thank you, commissioners. Um, so this is a snapshot of our plan for 2023. Everything in green has been completed. So the bulk of our plan has been completed. The items, you know, we did move some contingency items up, such as, uh, you know, police department seizures and evidence room. Uh, and, and some projects were just delayed. So the items in red, for instance, post-IAF airline realignment, it was just the whole project was pushed back a little bit until next year, so we couldn't start on that. Uh, similar with the equity policy directive, we were asked to push our work out uh, until they had some meaningful traction. So we'll be doing those in um, the upcoming year. Uh, the bulk of our projects, as I mentioned, are all done. We have the Delta Lounge that's in process and uh, will be presented at the March committee. So, uh, so item six, moving to the next slide. Still in item six. Um, from our 2023 audit plan, we completed 16 audit reports, uh, five of which were performance audits. 
performance audits are like operational audits. They look at processes and just make them better. We had uh, capital audits, which also, you know, performance or operational audits, but f focused exclusively on capital and our capital spend. So we had five of those, and IT information technology audits, three of those. You know, those are critical and important because we have so much vital infrastructure here, everything that runs the airport, from the runway lights to the baggage systems to even the financial systems, and, and we spend a lot of time there. And then limited contract compliance audits, we completed three of those. Those are smaller concessionaires and larger concessionaires at the airport primarily, but they're all through the port, even on the maritime side. But our effort and focus, because the vast majority of them are at the airport. Uh, we identified four high-risk issues, 16 medium-risk, and some low-risk issues for action. And uh, we do drive those through to completion and report back to you as to where we stand on those, um, if they don't, especially if they don't have them addressed. If they, when they have them addressed, they do fall off. Um, you know, one of the things we do with our audits is we make sure that uh, the port's complying with laws, procedures, and, um, and even safety rules and regulations. And, you know, accordingly, we protect the port there from both legal and financial exposure. One of the things we've been doing also is looking at audits with an equity lens. So it's not only are you complying, but are processes working and are they efficient? For instance, when we looked at you know, the equity reporting in the South King County Fund, we brought up opportunities for procurement to improve and, mm -hmm. and become a little easier to do business with for the small businesses. And we make change, and we continue to wear that equity lens in all our audits and, and continue to improve every, every time we do an audit so we get better. Um, you know, as Debbie and Rachel and team talked about, GCCM construction projects are in increasing at the port. We're doing, uh, like I said, seven of them next year that'll be in process. And uh, we bid the, bid the work out. So RL Townsend does do a, a, a large part of it, but there will be other firms as well that um, do this work. And, um, you know, it protects the port in real time. And I believe Janazan has stated, you know, it's so much easier <laughs> to collect the money up front. Janazan's our director of engineering. It's so much easier to correct it right there than wait till the end of a project and come in and say, mm -hmm. okay, you owe us money, because then um, you, know, you end up with a lot of fighting between who, who owes who and who was at fault. So um, those things have been working really well and I'm happy to report back that uh, it's been great to have Arl Townsend. Okay, continuing on to the next slide. You know, we do have recoveries, suggested recoveries from our audits. Uh, the 2023 numbers, although we've got, we've got 301,000, you know, the RL Townsend numbers are not in here yet. They will be updated when they're, um, as they said, in the next month or so from the work that they're doing on C1 and main terminal low voltage. They weren't ready to put their numbers in yet, but those will, will some of those will become savings. Uh, in 2022, we had quite a significant um, you know, amount of savings that we highlighted to the commission, and primarily from HBM that did a uh, presentation in December of last year to the audit committee. Next slide, please. So we also, not only do we have um, 
you know, recoveries, but we also have controllable cost recommendations in, in what we do. There are opportunities to improve, and accordingly we recommend to the business if you change this or make improvements here, um, or you know, maybe even change a contract up front, get the contracts cleaned up so the contracts are more specific. Um, we have opportunities to save money, and accordingly, um, these are some of the things that we highlighted from um, 2022 and 2023. And that concludes our 2023 audit plan. Um, so, Commissioner Muhammad, I'll hand it back to you to introduce item seven. Great. Are there any questions from the committee members before we move on to item number seven? All right, so item number seven on the agenda is uh, approval of the proposed 2024 internal audit plan. Glenn, please proceed. Thank you, Commissioner. So for 2023, one of the things, um, our work is approved by the commission here, uh, by the committee. So uh, you can add stuff to our plate and uh, you can take things off. But we put together an audit plan, we bring it forth and we say, based on our internal risk assessment, based on the century agenda of strategic objectives and uh, our executive director priorities, these are what we recommend as audits. So some of them are required, such as, as you can see on, on the first line, we have independent GCC and continuous audits. We've got to do seven of those. You know, in addition to that, our internal team um, will c continue on, finish concourse A, building expansion for, the, it's essentially the Delta Lounge, a tenant reimbursement agreement. Delta's doing the construction and billing us, and we wanna make sure that even though they're billing us and we're repaying them, you know, what they're doing and the money that's being spent is appropriately spent for the right things. So we're continuing on in that audit. We're also recommending the parking garage elevator modernization. We've got, and, and that's primarily because you know, it's, it's over the, um, the manager's estimate or internal estimates, uh, so we, we want to look at that. Terminal 117, it's our first heavy civil um, construction project. It's a restoration project in the Duwamish, and uh, as we close it out, uh, we want to make sure, we've been asked to look at it to make sure we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's, because all of the work is self-performed by the general contractor or majority, majority if it is. And then um, some um, transportation security enhancements on uh, the, the bollards and the ADA ramps. So these are part of um, improving and strengthening our capital delivery process that is one of our executive director priorities. Next, um, you know, on safety, on innovation and financial stewardship, but this is primarily safety and continu continuing on safety programs. We're, you know, we're, we've got the fire department and their PFAS use, storage and disposal of PFAS. Um, PFAS is a chemical that's used to put out fires in airplanes, and it is being phased out, but there's been a significant media on it and the health impacts of that, so we just want to look at that and make sure that the port's doing the right things there. Um, next slide, please. On um, financial stewardship and uh, employee engagement, you know, we want to look at time, the, the time approval controls. There's been a lot of issues 
that we've seen, uh, well, there's a lot of manual processes, and we had a payroll audit that we presented to the commission a while back, this in 2023, and there are a lot of manual processes, multiple systems that are used, and um, you know, some of the labor unions have come back and said, hey, we've found issues and correct things that needed to be corrected. So we want to go and look at time approvals, the controls there, and uh, give them com comfort that we're doing the right things and that time that's being recorded is accurate. Um, if time permits, we, we do have these contingency audits because you know we can only do so much work. Uh, but if um, time permits, we've added a couple of contingencies, and resource management is one of these. Resource management will primarily focus on consultants, um, and um, we've got a vast array of consultants that work at the port, and they have a lot of intellectual knowledge and how are we retaining that, and how are we also managing the consultants, their time, and um, you know, um, making sure that when, when they are billing items to the port that they're actually working for the port. Um, the two next two items are commission directives. The delegation of authority recently, uh, a year ago plus, uh, the executive director's um, authorization limits were increased by the commission and we were tasked with going back and making sure that uh, that process is complying with uh, the requirements of that directive. So uh, we will review that and get back to the commission, uh, uh, to the committee on that. Uh, similar with the equity policy directive, we want to make sure that we are um, complying with uh, the directive and uh, that what we're doing is in compliance with all the other requirements, laws, regulations, etc. So that's on our horizon. And then the next slide, please. Our, our concession audit plan is another big thing that I'll get into a little bit more detail on in a while, but uh, we are focusing it this year on smaller businesses, as I talked about. So as we work uh, with smaller businesses, you know, we're, we're looking at it uh, from an equitable opportunity for all perspective and making sure that we're fair with them and, and they're fair with us. If there is a third party code of conduct that's approved, I know that's in the pipeline and uh, our Office of OEDI or Equity um, is looking at that and developing that. If, if it is passed, how is the port complying with that? That'll be a contingency audit. And finally, uh, our utilities, um, you know, are the meters working both for water or electricity? There's, are, are they functioning to assure that we're conserving energy and, and doing the right things from an environmental perspective? Um, I, I know there was a recent article that said we're one of the largest water consumers in the state, and we want to make sure that uh, the port does have controls in place to review those items. I can pause there as I continue. Uh, we've got a few more items on, on the audit plan. And, and feel free, if, if you have questions, to jump in at any time. Should we continue? Yeah, let's continue. Continue. Okay, next slide, please. So for our 2024 performance audit plan from the last slide, you know, I want to point out that uh, we support the century agenda goals and the strategic objectives of the port. We build it around those. So. Uh, the Commission's priorities and um, the Executive Director Steve Metrick's priorities are supported by our audit plan. 
We also monitor emerging risks, and to do that, we talk with a sample of port leaders through a variety of, you know, in a variety of functions, and uh, these are just an example of the functions that we talk to leaders in. And we basically ask them what keeps them up at night, what are their big concerns, where are their opportunities to improve, and based on that, uh, we design our audit plan. Next slide, please. And commissioners, I'm going to ask on this slide Spencer Bright, who's our capital audit manager, to come up and uh, talk a little bit about how he, we build our capital audit plan approach. So I'll share the stage. You know, the folks behind me do a lot of work in designing these plans. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Spencer, unmute yourself and introduce yourself. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, Spencer Bright, Capital Projects audit manager um, so for the uh, capital audit plan approach um, in addition to the the audits mandated by RCW um, that Glenn has previously discussed and uh, I'll go into more detail on the, the next slide for in-house audits um, we utilize uh, uh, multiple uh, risk considerations uh, such as the, the size and complexity of the projects, uh, number and dollar values of change orders, types of change orders such um, are, you know, do they include errors and omissions, um, scope changes, uh, areas like that. Um, also consider the project delivery method, um, potential for for slippage and uh, consideration of uh, original contract value compared to uh, the original engineer's estimate. And just to add to that, Spencer and his team spend a lot of time working very closely with R.L. Townsend and Associates, who spoke a little while back, and uh, and also with the business. So they they stay in touch with the business, uh, Spencer. Is keenly aware of you know where there are opportunities and when he rates his projects based on uh, the criteria mentioned it helps him identify what moves to the top of the list and what he needs to audit next, uh, next, next slide, slide please so in addition to the uh, in-house in audits my team will be performing uh, and Glenn will propose those uh, shortly um, we also provide oversight of the independent auditor's work um, for the uh, following multi-year uh, GCCM engagements. Uh, my team's responsibility over these include the procurement of the auditor, contract oversight, we assist with some of their field work, um, we also perform the cost reconciliation audits of the contractors that are not covered in the independent auditor's contract such as the uh, GCCM, the overall prime. That's not in the uh, contract work of the independent auditors, so my team will go in and perform the, this similar type of work. And then uh, approval of, of the independent auditors' um, invoices. Uh, currently, I, I know this was mentioned earlier with RL Townsend, the main terminal low voltage, airline realignment, and the concourse low voltage upgrade projects are under contract with them 
and uh, the remaining projects on this list uh, I'm anticipating to procure in 2024. Thank you, Spencer. So, next slide, please. Commissioners, continuing on to a lease and concession audit approach. Um, so we've got approximately 127 leases in our risk universe, like we mentioned, primarily at the airport. And, um, you know, the revenue um, can be, a, a, it's about $100 million a year. So it's, it's a quite, quite a significant chunk of change, and it's growing. You know, as you can see, even though um, 2023, um, you know, it's just uh, up till the 127 million is up to August 31st. So um, the airport's getting busier, concessionaires are growing, and uh, a full year is going to be quite a bit more than that 127 million. So large amounts of money. We've looked at a lot of the high revenue. Um, concessionaires so now we're focusing on the medium and the low at least for this year and and everyone gets looked at you know our, our goal is to look at um, the larger ones at least once every seven years the median ones every ten years and the smaller ones as needed we've, we've been focusing on the large and medium and uh, since we've covered all of those we're going to move down to the large group of uh, smaller businesses and and as we do that we'll have a very different approach in working with them. Next slide, please. So, so I think what we've highlighted here is uh, Bambooza at SeaTac, Seattle Food Partners, the um, 1915 KC House Concepts at SeaTac, and Polino at SeaTac. Yeah, there. If if you look at some of the other larger size businesses, there's. Um, the revenue amounts are huge. These are smaller, um, and when we look at them, as I mentioned, you know, we're we're going to look at it with from multiple different angles. We'll, we'll look at, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that our team uh, has already created all the presentations, and they're looking forward to meeting with the concessionaires and um, and really adding value there, because it was a simple phishing email that uh, caused the ACH fraud. And you know that's so easy to protect just by telling them you know if something looks fishy, don't open it. Next slide, please. The last part of our audit plan is our information technology audit plan. Uh, we've got both ICT, which is information and communications technology that uh, manages many of our core systems, and then we have aviation maintenance, which manages uh, critical systems at the airport, uh, primarily the industrial control systems that run runway lights, baggage systems, you know, monitors, other critical infrastructure at the airport, and then access control, which is the badge system to get into the secure side of the airport. So we look at both of those, and, and one of the things we do when we cycle through these is the, there's something called the Center for Internet Security, which is a think tank that has some critical controls. And it says if you have these 18 high-risk areas reviewed and audited and cleaned up, um, then the risk is your exposure is lowered significantly. So how do we, you know, our goal is to get these 18 done 
um, in the next few years and uh, thereby, and, and we'll continue to cycle through, but uh, the idea is to make sure that we're very well protected there. So with that, I'll move to the next slide, please. So some of the, two of the uh, CIS, or Center for Internet Security Audits that we'll be doing next year is application software security and network infrastructure management on our information communications technology groups. So uh, they're both high-risk audits that will be done. The, <laughs> the next... <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that's coming down the pipeline is TSA um, has some mandates and audits and cybersecurity audits for all airports. So they've got a new mandate that they've been working on for a while. And, um, you know, we expect to have, be required to do some work in 2024 on um, the TSA requirements. So that's on our plan. And if, um, if time permits, you know, we've recently had Bruce Clausal, our old IT audit manager, retire, and we're recruiting to fill, um, well, Ritika Marwaha took, stepped into his role, but she's got to backfill herself. Mm -hmm. So while we're working on that, assuming we backfill in time and we have the resources, we also have uh, penetration testing as uh, one of our contingency audits that will move up. Next slide, please. So this slide provides you with a quick overview as to you know, the number of audits that we're doing. We're in line with 2023 at 16 audits, but if you'll notice down at the bottom these GCCM ones, there's quite a bit going on there, so we, you know, we have to spend a lot of time managing and um, working with um, RL Townsend and Associates. So we do have um, seven of those and uh, 16 uh, regular type performance, capital, IT, and contract compliance audits. So commissioners, this is the next two slides. This and the next one uh, is a snapshot of everything I've discussed of our audit plan. And um, what, um, if we can move on to the next slide, these are the, con this, these are the contingency audits. Um, so with that, I'll take any questions. I conclude my presentation and uh, thank you. Back to you. Um, thank you for the presentation okay. and for covering the 2024 audit plan. Are there any questions from the committee members? Go for it. I just have a comment, and I know I kind of mentioned this to Glenn. I, I have conflicting feelings about um, that we bring our entire audit plan for the next year forward um, and list like specifically everything we're gonna look at. Like these are public meetings. So anyone can see like, for example, these vendors that we're gonna be looking at, the concessionaires um, can see that we're coming. Um, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword. Like we want them to correct things because we want it corrected, but I also think there's a risk that things will be covered up because they know we're coming. So just, Something that, I don't know, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but it's definitely something that comes to mind with knowing that we're publicly putting out where, what we're going to be doing in the next year. And, and our, our comments back is, I totally agree with you, Sarah. Uh, the flip side is we do want, at least internally, we want things to be fixed. That's our biggest priority. So if they fix it internally before we come in, that's great. <laughs> They've done our work. 
Uh, on the concessionaires, we do look back at historical information, right? Have they paid us in the past for their contract? Uh, so we do get supporting documentation, CPA reports, and other things that are kind of harder to muddle with. But I do, I do get it. I mean, uh, surprise audits definitely take people off guard, and you know, and you have the propensity to catch a little bit more. But noted. Commissioner Cho? No, I was just going to say welcome to government. Um, <laughs> every time we disclose how much we're willing to pay for a project, I cringe because <laughs> every, Everyone's every bidder is going to know exactly what our budget is. Anyways, um, no, I appreciate the sentiment, and I think it is important to do an audit that does go back so that we, we're capturing, um, uh, what would I say, trends and patterns as opposed to just a snapshot in time. And so I, I'm, I'm glad we're doing that. Thank you for those questions. Um, I had a quick question too around uh, slide nine that talked about the delegation of authority. Mm -hmm. So that oversight and review that you all are gonna do, it's gonna come back to the committee. Will it come back to public, like the entire commission during our commission meetings? Um, happy to do that. Yes. I would like to make that yes. request. I know mm -hmm. that um, when we were authorizing the delegation of authority change, there was also discussion about an increase happening, but before that increase happens that we would get some sort of update on how things are going thus far and based on that that we would consider the increase on annual um, Deputy Executive Karen Goons in the room. So as those changes are mm -hmm. happening, it would be great if it comes to the entire committee for us to be able to make that decision together as a collective. So just want to note that. I believe from um, following um, a chain of communication that um, the commission clerk, is, is Michelle Hart, is going to present something to the full commission on how it's going um, in the next few months. And then after that, we will do our audit and we will come back as requ requested to the full commission and give you an update Great. on that as well. That is one way we will be setting precedent <laughs> that will outlive our entire commission <laughs> and the executive. So I just want to make sure we do that right. Um, and then I had one additional question regarding just, um, you know, we talked about the construction contracts and where are the opportunities for us to make improvements, cleaning up the ways that we do contracting. I know we haven't looked at making changes or any big changes probably in the last maybe 40 years or so. So I'm wondering in the 2024 plan, is there an intent to partner with procurement on some of those changes with audit? I know we've briefly talked about that before, but it's not really explicit in the 2024 audit plan. And so I also just wanna notate that. Um, yeah, that's a very good point, commissioners. Yeah, it's not explicit, um, but I have had discussions with uh, Deputy Executive Director Karen Goon, who's in the room, um, and we've talked about how we could do that. Um, I do think, you know, there's about one or two contracts that are signed a year. So it, it's, you know, it's um, not that heavy a lift. We will have to use our outside resources, such as RL Townsend uh, and their expertise, um, but, but absolutely we can do that. We, we, you know, since we, the reason we didn't specifically put it in the plan is, well, because one, it needs to be solidified and, and, and agreed to internally, and two, because we will be using, um, we, we, we do have the, the resources to do it through our GCCM um, partners, the independent auditors. 
Perfect. It's, it's just helpful to know that those conversations are happening. So thank you for that update. And I look forward to updates as, as you guys make decisions on that. Um, if there is no additional question, I will move us along. Um, we do yes. need to vote on this. I will move us along to the vote. <laughs> is there a motion and a second to recommend approval of the 2024 proposed internal audit plan? So moved. Sorry, I jumped the gun. I second. <laughs> I'm so excited about the audit plan. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get it approved quickly. Okay, so the motion has been made and has been seconded. Is there any objection to the motion? Hearing none, the motion has been approved. Thank you, Glenn and committee members. I'll move us along to item number eight on the agenda, which is the open issue status briefing. Mr. Fernandez, please proceed with the presentation. Thank you, commissioners. Um, so, Commissioner Muhammad, just a quick snapshot here on follow-up. One of the things we do is, um, you know, it's not always the most pleasant, but sometimes it, it's one way to get things done. We highlight things that are opened, mm -hmm. and uh, we get commitment from the business that they are addressing them and fixing items. So, open items, um, our audit findings are tracked um, as required by our standards also and uh, we work with the business to close them out. There, you know, the, the numbers have come down significantly. Uh, they were up post-COVID for a while and uh, the business has been addressing them. You know, some of the lines that you see that are larger, um, uh, more than two years, for example, you know, data centers and uh, on the IT side, there, is, there are plans in place and, and actively these things are being addressed so next year some of these things will fall off or start being addressed um, the whole process is you know to get funding from commission which i believe some of these things you approved um, earlier this week in, in the consent calendar that'll be addressing some of these items so um, you know it, it comes through there and and uh, projects are then moved forward to address problems at the airport and make it a safer and better place and also on the operational side you know, fixing operational items. So, um, the um, happy happy to report that follow up is um, you know, being addressed. Items are being addressed, and the bars have come down significantly. Great. That's it on this item. If there are any questions, are there any questions from the committee members? Go for it, sir. Um, so, <laughs> I've been pretty clear about how I feel about these. <laughs> they really bother me. Uh, but I'm trying to understand these two graphs. So we have, it looks like nine sitting in more than two years on the first one, which is outstanding from report date. And then on the outstanding from target date, it looks like we only have like three or four. What does that mean? What is the difference? So some of these, whenever we um, have an audit report, we have a management response and they provide a date as to when they'll complete the item by. And from target date is from, from the date that they commit that they'll complete the item by. Uh, when several years ago, there wasn't as much discipline as to providing a target date. So loose dates were, or, or just an action plan was provided saying, we'll fix this item without them saying when they'll fix it by. And some of these, remember, they're really long-term IT projects. So it, it takes funding and it takes uh, you know, a, a lot of energy and effort 
uh, to, for instance, move a data center or to build a second facility for something that is potentially at risk. So, so those are the items that don't have uh, target dates. There's details in the back in the appendix and um, also on your on the non-public session deck, which you also have, you'll have even more detail on the IT findings as to what exactly they are and why they've been outstanding and when they're targeted to be addressed. So, so all that detail is provided to you. Is that? Okay, so like we have nine sitting more than two years from the report date, but really if you look at outstanding six months to two years from target date, that, I mean, they're all basically sitting there. So I guess I just, again, like it, it defeats the whole purpose of doing this if people aren't going to do anything. Like it just, we, yeah. <laughs> we just shouldn't have stuff that's sitting this long. It's just, yeah. I, so, it bothers so, me. So one of the things, Sarah, um, public member Holstrom, that we've done is we have gone back to, I, to the business, to IT and to um, aviation maintenance and said, if you're not going to do it, uh, let's document that uh, you've accepted the risk and, and we can move forward. Uh, but, but all of these are items that they're actively working on, that they've committed that are, are important and they, they want to keep on there and address. So they're working on addressing them. They might, might be long in, in the works, but uh, they are important items. But they agreed to a target date. They're not meeting. So. Oh, on, on that, yes. They, they are slipping on that. I agree. And then, are, so ones that potentially they decide we're not going to fix this, we're going to accept the risk, what, what's the process with that? Will that go anywhere? Will that get reported back here? Or will they just drop off the report? Or what happens with those? Well, generally we do. If they're not, if they aren't going to accept the risk, we have that discussion and we'll bring it to the committee during follow-up. Okay. So these items are coming up. Thanks. Mr. Fernandez, in follow-up to... Um, Sarah's questions, they do provide you with regular sort of updates on why the delays are happening, and do you guys determine if those are justifiable? So yes, so our approach is if it's a high-risk item, um, we actually go out and look at back up at detail um, to make sure that what they're doing is in line. Our you know, depending on the team, uh, if it's an IT issue, if it's an operational issue. So, so we, we look for justification, and did they really fix it? Even when they say it's done, you know, we look for documentation to make sure that it is done and it's cleaned up and, you know, physically go out there and check things uh, when relevant. For medium risk issues, we'll just look for confirmation from them or an email saying they, you know, they've addressed it and this is how, and if it looks reasonable, we'll take their word on it and go forward. You know, low-risk items we generally don't follow up on. It's subjective if, if it's a low-risk, smaller item. Um, we'll, we'll still keep tabs on it and make sure that they are addressing them, but uh, we won't put as much diligence into it. And then for those high-risk items that maybe the justification is not reasonable, I assume it gets elevated to the executive level? It does, okay. and uh, yes, as you know, we fight those um, and uh, have discussions in this chamber. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's good to have just a, an explanation of just some yeah. of those proto protocols and how those issues get elevated. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, you know, if it is a high-risk item and it's, not, and it's not being addressed, uh, we do try to bring it back to the committee and, and I will have discussions with you. 
you know, sometimes things change a lot, so it requires a second audit where we, you know, things have changed so much since our initial audit that we have to go back and re-audit the whole thing to see where they stand and if things have been addressed in a different manner, perhaps, because the whole program could change. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that the, the substance, rather than just form, the substance of the issue is being addressed. Thank you for those answers, and Sarah, thank you for bringing up that concern. It's helpful. Um, if there's no additional questions, I'll move us along to item number nine. So we are uh, now at the performance audit sections of the agenda. Item number nine is a report on the airport parking garage. Mr. Fernandez, please introduce the item. Thank you, commissioners. This item is the airport parking garage at SeaTac, uh, which is uh, one of the largest parking garages, covered parking garages in the United States, in a single structure. Actually, I think even globally. With that, you know, the person on our team that did a lot of this work is Rumi Okuma, who's a senior internal auditor, and I'm going to ask her to come up and sit with me, and if there are any questions, she has uh, all the details that, uh, on, on a lot of this. So, um, you know, like I mentioned, it's got 12,000 plus parking stalls, and it's still full. We fill it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so one of the questions and, and the challenges uh, we've had is during COVID, airline employees were parking there. They've moved out to the North employee parking lot where they're supposed to be, and um, Peter Lindsay, who's the senior manager over airport operations, and Laurel Dunphy, who's the director over air, airport operations, um, yeah, essentially, in, in the, during the kickoff of this audit, worked with us and said, um, Peter said, hey, you know, we've tried to move people out. Can you make sure that they're not abusing our garage anymore? <laughs> and, and some of it is systems. You know, the systems and the technology didn't allow previously um, reporting and um, yeah, getting the reports to know who was abusing the garage and not using it correctly and you know, abusing their privileges, essentially. So we also want we want to look at, one, cash handling. There's a lot of money that comes in. There's about $100 million in revenue that comes through the garage every year. Um, about 2%, roughly, or a million and a half to two million is in cash, which is still a lot of money, you know, cash, um, and cash coming through the, the various toll booths. And then we want to make sure that people that are using the garage, just getting in um, on the passes, the variety of passes, are using it um, you know, per policy and as they're supposed to be using it for our agreement with them. Um, because we give away a lot of complimentary parking passes to vendors, construction folks, and whatever else. And then are we complying with laws, regulations, our internal rules primarily? So. Um, you know, the key item that we want to look at, we had an issue in an audit report several years ago on cash theft at the toll booths, and we wanted to make sure that the controls were addressed there. It was a simple segregation of duties issue, and we wanted to make sure that segregation of duties were installed over there. And, we, you know, we're happy to report back that uh, Peter Lindsay and his team have addressed those, and uh, we feel pretty comfortable with the cash controls at the toll booths. However, we found opportunities to improve, you know, policy compliance and just who's coming into the garage and using their cards correctly and 
you know, are we f monitoring and shutting these things off when they're supposed to be and preventing people from, uh, from you know, not using their cards inappropriately? We also have paid parking. Just next slide, please. I'm sorry. A couple slides forward. I've got my. Okay. Um, the. You know, we we've got eight floors in the parking garage. For for the fourth floor is Terminal Direct. And we have a program. Also, which um, you know sells parking to the public. Um, we have, it's like the passport parking program. We have complimentary parking, and then we have paid employee parking. So complimentary parking is given out to um, all port employees. Complimentary parking is also provided to um, construction workers and construction firms, with a caveat that they're allowed to park there for under 24 hours, and if they park over the 24 hours, they're going to be charged daily rates. Um, complimentary parking is also given out from time to time to consultants that might be working for the port at the airport. The passport parking m program, as I mentioned, is a monthly parking program. And then uh, paid employee program, uh, paid employee parking is, um, yes, em certain employees, not port employees, but other employees of airlines or concessionaires might pay to park at uh, the a variety of the lots. The key system that we use, uh, it, well, the updated system is T2 Flex now that you know, we use to get our data for this audit that I'll talk about next and that Rumi and team used because T2 Flex does offer us a lot more opportunities than we had before. So with that, next slide, please. And Rumi, if you'd like to jump in at any time, please. <laughs> So, so the team, Rumi and team, looked at uh, all of the complimentary parking and identified 603 instances in the last 18 months where contractors, concessionaires, and people that had business at the airport that were given these free passes for 24 hours were uh, staying there for longer periods of time, so way beyond the 24 hours. You know, from the looks at it, uh, uh, looks of it potentially if you're traveling, uh, if you're parking your car there for eight or ten days, you're probably not there for work. Um, you know, or, or for whatever reason, you're sharing your pass or leaving a car there, which you're not supposed to do. So we generated instances of everyone that stayed over there 24 hours and uh, calculated the amount that they should be billed for uh, in the last 18 months for the time that uh, they have abused their privileges of uh, parking there for under 24 hours. Next slide, please. So just an example, this slide and this table provides a brief example of you know, some of the people that parked there excessively and uh, um, beyond. It, it just gives you some raw data. Mostly concessionaires, Hallmark Aviation manages the lost and found. They probably have no reason to park there for more than 24 hours. You know, same with all the concessionaires. There were two TSA agents, uh, relatively small, uh, but uh, we're holding everyone to the same standard and saying, uh, you know, if you have a 24-hour parking, um, the, you know, 
we're going to now, going forward, the team will run reports. And actually, I think Peter's going to talk a little bit about um, the controls that he's putting in place in this finding and uh, you know, what he's going to do. I see Peter's online on the screen. I'm going to skip the recommendations. Go to the next slide, please. Our recon recommendations speak for themselves, but Peter's doing all of this, so rather than me state them and then Peter regurgitate something similar, I'll <laughs> hand it off to him. I want to thank Peter thank for his partnership and his team's partnership during this audit. So next slide, please. And Peter, I'll hand it to you if you can unmute. Okay, okay. Uh, thank you, Glenn, and uh, thank you for the opportunity committee for um, listening to our management response, which is that we agree with these findings. Um, and some of the things that we're doing is to leverage our new revenue control system, um, often called a park system, uh, T2 Flex, uh, to limit the uh, complimentary card program to 24 hours and automate that process. Uh, that's what's key for us. The, the previous system, Parking Soft, uh, did not allow us to change what's called a grace period uh, and then report out on that. Um, with this new system, we can modify and control the card such that the 24 hours, uh, well, once that's succeeded, uh, the, the parker can no longer exit the garage without um, some intervention by an employee. So that control goes into effect with our implementation of, of Flex, um, which went into place in June of this year. Um, we also understand that we, we want better reporting on that. And again, that's part of the Flex package is that we'll have adequate reporting with regards to the, the stays of these complimentary cards. Um, and then the, the question of um, card usage and improvements to better manage the cards, um, whether or not we reuse cards, for instance, uh, is a question. There is some value in reusing and recycling cards because uh, it's, it's media that you don't have to purchase. Uh, but we understand there is a risk of error there. So how do we address that is through standard operating procedures. And um, we'll look at that as well as a um, part of our recommendation in our response. Uh, and finally, we will assess uh, the feasibility of collecting revenues. There's 166 card holders indicated through the audit, um, which is a, a considerable number uh, to review individually. Um, so we will assess the feasibility and the due diligence of collecting on those revenues. Glenn, I'll just go back to you as we get yeah, to the next we'll, item. We can move to the next slide, but while we're on this, if you have questions yes. for Peter on this issue, Yeah, please. I want to thank both of you, Mr. Fernandez and Peter and the management for your response. Are there any questions from the committee members? It's also good to know that there was no commissioners or former commissioners that ended up on that list. Oh, no. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> the, these are the first list that we went through. The first issue is for construct for concessionaires, mm -hmm. for contractors that have free parking, and um, for other individuals at the airport that come in consultants, for instance. So no employees or commissioners fall into this. Next slide, please. But this slide <laughs> uh, talks about employees and. Mm -hmm. um, Again, I'm happy to report that no commissioners fall into this because <laughs> you would get free employee parking as any port employee. However, when you leave as an employee, when you leave the port, you know, you need to have your card shut off. You, all your badges need to be turned in, your system access needs to be sh shut off, and our offboarding process at the port, you know, has room for improvement. 
So um, for a variety of reasons over the years, uh, it's a very manual process, and there's an opportunity to improve that port-wide. But d the downstream effects of that is the parking garage. We looked at 1,397 employees, active employee parking cards, and we identified 16, well, we identified 99 that were still active. So 99 employees that left the port still had active parking cards for the airport. Most of them were smart enough not to use them, um, but 16 continued to use them after separation from the port. So the, the, the big thing here is, okay, yes, we need to figure out how to shut these down when an employee leaves and, um, and get um, you know, the HR systems and the data to Peter's team. And ultimately, it's not Peter's team that's fully responsible. It's also partially the managers in the port that are supposed to offboard people, take their cards, and send them to Peter's team for deactivation. So that whole process needs to be improved. But Peter's going to talk a little bit about what he's going to do to address this. So Peter, back to you. And Audrey's okay. Yes. Slides. Thank you. One more. Um, and as Glenn mentioned, this is a, a collaborative effort. So as we offboard employees, the supervisor is meant to collect the uh, credentials from the employees, including parking cards, um, and go through a an online process to offboard, if you will, terminate the employee. Is technically what we we say in the HR system. Um, and as that happens, a report can be generated, can be, and provided to Landside um, to notify us that indeed this, this person has been, um, has left and we need to shut off their parking credential. Um, so this is going to be a, a multifunctional, cross-functional team that will look at how we offboard and what systems we use uh, that can generate automated reports to inform us on a regular uh, basis um, and landside to address this issue. So uh, we, want, we want something that's regular and repeatable um, that can come to the parking office, say, once a month, and we'll understand who's notified um, and, or on an as-needed basis, too. So we can know, to hey, this, is, this uh, credential is no longer with a, an active employee. We need to turn it off, and we can make that change immediately and make it part of our workflow. Um, so scheduling those reports is really key for us, um, and we'll review the, the existing SOP so my staff understand what the standard operating procedure would be uh, with those reports and how we act deactivate cards subsequently uh, to receiving that report. Um, so to me, this, this has some pretty straightforward actions for us, uh, but it will be a collaborative effort. And again, it's going to be incumbent upon the supervisors for all port employees uh, to take action on a timely basis to uh, collect these credentials and return them. Okay. Thanks, Peter. M next slide, please. Moving on, um, the next issue, commissioners, that we have on, on the same report is um, ADR tenants or airport dining and retail tenants. They get free parking, but at the end of their lease termination, when their lease is done, they get a couple weeks, uh, three weeks roughly, to um, get all their stuff out and then they're supposed to turn their cards in um, to um, Peter's team. Well, first to the airport dining retail team and then that should get to Peter's team. We looked at um, 10 leases, a sample of 10 leases that uh, were terminated during the course for audit and we identified one exception 
where uh, a parking card was still active and continued to be used long after the lease was terminated. So that, uh, obviously the card was shut off as soon as we identified it, um, but uh, since we do have um, the parking dates of the individual that used the card, you know, we passed those on to Peter. Now, part of this, the reason this is a lower risk, it, one, it's a sm smaller number of exceptions, and two, memos were sent out, and the port does have some controls in place where they notify the tenant that they're supposed to turn in their leases, I mean, their parking cards at the end of the leases. It's just that the individual did not. So as a follow-up mechanism, the port should have some better controls where uh, if a parking card is not turned in, it's deactivated and the individual is contacted. So, uh, you know, th there needs to be some sort of follow-up. So uh, I, I believe the recommendation here is for Peter and his team to work with ADR and the operations folks, aviation commercial management, to get uh, this addressed. So Peter, your, your follow-up. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a relatively straightforward follow-up is that when, when we put the uh, policies into place for our, our lease agreements that the property manager um, follows up with a set a list of, of actions as they terminate the lease one of which is to collect the, the physical cards from the um, the uh, lease and then remit those back to return those back to the employee parking office um, and then to make clear that uh, you know this is this is a requirement for terminating the lease um, and at a certain time we'll be notified regardless of whether those those cards are remitted we'll just turn off those cards subsequently so um, to me this is, is pretty straightforward this needs a little more clarity in our communications uh, between departments and with our, our leaseholders uh, the final item on here is related to us the, the incident that uh, occurred with the with this business and what we will assess the, again that whether we collect back on that or not um, we are sensitive to some of the small business implications and but we do need to do our due diligence and, and uh, we'll, we'll assess whether or not that we can collect back on on that usage and um, as part of our response the the next issue that we have is you know, so parking cards, we give out many complimentary parking cards, but um, many of those, most of those are supposed to be, uh, the policy says, or at least the, the non-written policy says that at the end of 12 months, um, the card needs to be re either reapplied or renewed, or it's gonna be deactivated. Uh, this is for consultants, airline workers, you know, that, that get these 12 month uh, parking passes. And um, through our audit test work, we found that uh, two things were occurring. One, um, and I think, uh, next slide, please. The, uh, many of the cards were issued for longer than 12 months. So the 12-month control was being put in correctly. So at the end of 12 months, the cards weren't being deactivated. And then paperwork, you know, who authorized this and why uh, the re appropriate request forms need to be kept and managed in a, a in an organized manner. So, um, roughly 69% of the parking cards didn't have the approved parking request forms and the approved paperwork. So, there's an opportunity to clean up a little bit there and uh, and build some controls to shut them off and follow um, 
the guidance that these shut, shut, are shut down in 12 months. Um, you know, I think um, essentially that's the gist of this. It's, it's clean up and keeping paperwork and then following our own internal rules and just documenting them too. Yeah. So, so with that, I'll, I'll hand it over to Peter to talk to the management response. Yeah, so we, we absolutely concur that I think 12 months is the right uh, right um, duration. And just for a little background visibility, we often issue um, complimentary cards to contractors, especially in support of our capital program. And sometimes those projects last more than a year. Um, for instance, the IEF, and you have different contractors who come in and out. Um, to, I think, put better control over who's using which cards, a 12-month duration seems appropriate. It's also something that we believe can be automated into the, into the system. And then it would be incumbent upon uh, the cardholder um, and potentially their business to identify as pos identify positively that they, they need the card going into the next 12-month period and to fill out the documentation that, that Glenn mentioned, um, the parking request form. Um, so we think with those two controls in place, um, we'll have better visibility and control over the, this contractor parking issue and uh, give us a better tool to manage the capacity in the garage. So Good. thank you. And, and the last uh, item on, on this report is it's a low-risk item because of the dollar amount. It's, you know, seg it's a segregation of duties issue. So it, this is not at the toll boots when uh, people go out, but in the back office where employee parking, em, the employee parking office where cash is kept. It's really small amount, $9,000 is collected from employees through this process. Various airport employees or airline employees that pay for parking. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, segregate, this is a segregation of duties issue because one individual can both um, Re receive the cash, record it, reconcile, and deposit the cash. And ideally, you want some sort of independence between functions uh, because of the inherent risk of cash. Um, so, um, you know, one, all we're recommending here is to figure out a way to segregate those duties or have some sort of oversight over that. Right. And with that, Peter, our last response from you on this. <laughs> yeah, so this, um, although low risk, I think we, we've learned a number of lessons over the years with cash handling and how best to do that is for these separate segregation of duties. Um, and with this group, we can put into place um, a different staffing plan and segregate these duties to, to ensure this, although it's a smaller amount, um, that this operation uh, meets all of our auditing standards, which is really key for us. So. Um, that, that will be the plan. We'll work with Aviation Finance and Budget, who, who does have a, a parking auditor position. It supports us, whether it's that resource or a, a separate outside resource to help with the segregation um, is to be determined, but it's something that we, we think we have a, a theory, a, the plan to execute, and the question is just uh, put it into practice. Thank you, Glenn. And that concludes this audit, but yes, questions now for Peter while he's here or myself on this audit. Thank you, Mr. Fernandez, and thank <laughs> you, Peter, for your thorough answers to those many questions. Um, any questions from the committee members? Go for it, sir. Uh, kind of related to the last recommendation, um, 
just curious, have we, it's kind of a trend we've seen around, have we thought about going cashless for the parking garage? Have there been conversations about that? There's just so much inherent risk in it, and I just wondered if that was something we're considering. I see Peter nodding here, so I'll let Peter answer. Yeah, it, so the parking garage is 98% uh, cashless, as I think my last number, it were uh, card transactions. Um, we have considered it, and I think it's it's a, a business decision that comes with some concerns about who wants to pay and making sure that we're meeting our customer needs. Uh, certain customers really want to pay with cash, and um, we recognize that and respect that. Um, and then in some cases, especially on the employee parking side, um, not everybody has access to the same banking um, uh, institutions or banking technologies. So we want to keep it open um, as a possibility um, to use cash and uh, but we do consider from time to time uh, just going cashless and and there are some definitely some benefits to doing that including the audit risk that we recognize um, but we want to be sensitive to what our stakeholder needs are as well um, for making that decision and sarah just to add to that um, you know i talk to a lot of my peers at other airports on a pretty regular basis and some airports have done it. Uh, others have created these cash machines where you put your money in and it validates your parking. Um, and that kind of, you know, they won't take it at the mm. toll booths, but, but they'll have other. Uh, and uh, it's a technology thing where you, you know, you put your money into the machine and it validates your parking. So those are all options that are on the table. And I'm sure Peter and team have all of those to, to balance and consider. That's right, and that's an it's an ongoing consideration. Is do you have the called the reverse ATM, if you will, that you can use cash to valid to get a parking exit credential, and you can just use that at the exit. Um, and there's some pluses and minuses, some trade-offs with those systems too. That that are then collecting cash, and then there's a vendor associated with the with the ATM. So um, a good question is kind of part of our ongoing uh, strategizing over public parking and what kind of products we want to offer. Um, or at this point, we're, we're not at a point where we're going to cease the use of cash, but it's a regular conversation point uh, with the team. Great. If there's no additional questions, I will move us along. Peter, thank you again for um, answering the questions and presenting today, Mr. Fernandez. Moving us along to item number 10. Before us is a report regarding police department seizures and evidence room. Mr. Fernandez and Dan, please proceed. Thank you, Commissioner. So um, Dan Chase and his team um, did this audit and they worked closely with Chief Villa, who's in the room. Um, and um, you know, I'm going to let Dan talk a little bit about this, the background, but just to let you know the, the gist of this audit um, is um, you know, looking at the evidence room. The state auditors, as you know, are also looking at the seizure pr procedures, and they have an independent report that they'll present to the commission at some point uh, on, on the seizures. But, but this audit is focused on the evidence room, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. And uh, you know, I'll hand it to Dan to present his audit. Okay, great. Thanks, Glenn. And I, I didn't know I was going to be doing the background section, but I'll, I'll just yeah. kind of read briefly from the slides. So, um, the police department was established in 1972, um, and it's the primary law enforcement services to uh, SEA, uh, led by Chief Via, and thanks for being here today. 
Uh, 152 employees, 106 are commissioned officers, and 46 are non-commissioned. Um, there's, there's basically two major uh, groups that it's broken up into operations and services. Operations is kind of the, the frontline people that you see, uh, you know, in uniform. Uh, and then the services responsible, you know, kind of more of the administrative part of it. Uh, next slide. And so um, the port has a very well-documented uh, seizure and forfeiture process. Um, there's an evidence room that's about two miles south of the airport. Um, it's got an alarmed facility, limited access, um, uh, entry, exit signs, in and out. Um, and so the kind of the administrative part of it, and Glenn, did you want to add anything before I kind of go into what we found? No, you're good. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so the the seizure process, I'll kind of I'll kind of go into that a little bit. There's um, when evidence is seized um, every year on January 31st, the proceeds, uh, the net proceeds from those forfeitures uh, are remitted to 10% of the uh, forfeitures are remitted to the state, and then the 90% is retained and it's used explicitly for um, certain purposes. Uh, it can't be used to supplant the budget. Um, so can we go to the next slide? Um, so here are the seizures and evidence from the evidence room and the gross proceeds that you see there, uh, it's about 1.2 million over what uh, our scope period. And then the net sales or the proceeds, that's with um, you know, legal fees are included in there, any costs associated, you know, storage costs. And then that 10% is the amount that's left over that's remitted to um, Washington State Department of Revenue. And, and if I can add on here, so there's a lot of things, as Dan mentioned, that we seize, right? Cash, drugs, um, guns. guns, you know, and sometimes just uh, backpacks and other in items. But, you know, uh, this, this chart just shows you the scale of the cash that comes through the airport and that's seized. You know, in a particular quarter, you could have half a million dollars that's seized, right? So it's a lot of money coming through and, uh, you know, um, it, it's just a very unique situation because of the scale and the size of SeaTac Airport. Uh, next slide, please. So here's the low-rated issue that we came across. Um, and so as we assessed the evidence room and we tested, you know, going from the record to the actual inventory in the room and then from the inventory back to the record, tested 40 items and those all checked out perfectly. Um, we did note that there were some um, items that were marked for destruction. Um, it had been over two years in 2021 is the last time um, that was done. And so there's, there's a very formal process that occurs when they're um, when evidence is ready to be um, destroyed. Um, I won't go into specific detail, but it's not, it's, there's a very controlled process around it, right? Um, and then it's taken over to Spokane where it's uh, destroyed. Um, I'll, I'll point out that there was an accreditation standard that had a timeline for the timely destruction. Um, that timeline has now uh, been removed. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a good practice to, you know, take, take the evidence out uh, and destroy it when, when it's not needed. Um, 
you know, it prevents an overload on the, on the property management system. Um, it reduces the need for storage, uh, for extra storage space. And then, you know, it also prevents unintentional mishandling. So, um, but it's very important that this is done after all legal requirements have been satisfied. So, um, next slide, I think that might be it. Yeah, so we've, we've recommended that they, um, you know, develop a, a process, a disposition process and build it into their procedures, which they have done. And I think last I had heard that they were planning on um, going through that process and taking it over, over to Spokane. Um, it either has been done or it's, it's set to be done in the next month or two. So, so just to add a little bit onto this, I, I, and I think when Dan goes through his match response, you'll find, you know, although we've got Chief Via in the room, you know, Chief has uh, agreed and taken action on it right away. So uh, it's well addressed with that back to you. Yeah, and so uh, unless there's questions, I'd just like to uh, thank Chief Via and his team um, for, you know, just the collaboration that we've had. I, when I started at the port, that was one of the first audits that I did, and I, I had some contacts there that, that are still here. And there's just a really uh, good group of people to work with. I've really enjoyed it, and I think uh, others have as well. So thank you. Thank you for the presentation, Mr. Fernandez and Dan. Um, are there any questions from the committee members? I have a quick question. So it sounds like you said that the process is going to be moved to Spokane. It, can we confirm that? So it, the yeah, go ahead. Oh, the, the disposition process. So once they move the items uh, out of the evidence room, mm -hmm. they're, they're put in a U-Haul and brought over to the Spokane facility where they're set up to destroy uh, evidence, um, guns, drugs, that sort of thing. So um, does that answer your question? That's so, so that's the process that they've been going through for they're, some time. They're not, you know, they're not destroyed in the uh, in, Kits, in King County, mm -hmm. so they have to be taken to Eastern Washington and uh, destroyed over there. And I get, believe Chief is coming up to talk a little <laughs> bit yeah. about it. Would you add a little bit more clarity? Uh, yes. <clears throat> um, so, so there's only with um, firearms and drugs. Uh, we we take need to take those to an incendiary. And there's only one or two places in the state that'll do that. Mm. And so most uh, law enforcement agencies on this side of the state are taking those items over to Eastern Washington where they do that disposal. And, and while I have the opportunity, I just want to thank also uh, Glenn and Dan for uh, doing the audit. Um, and uh, it's good just to have that thorough review of our processes and even just identifying that, you know, it had been two years since we've done that destruction where we really should be doing it um, every year. So. Uh, we wrote a policy, that, so that's now in our policy, um, and we're set to go do that um, destruction mid-January. Great. Thank you for that additional information, and it's been a busy last three years <laughs> considering the pandemic, workforce development, workforce issues as well, and so I, I appreciate your department and the important work that you all do. Um, thank you both for presenting today. Is there any additional questions? If not, I can move us on to the next item. Thanks, Chief. Thanks. So uh, item number 11 on the agenda is an information technology audit item. This item is security sensitive and will be discussed in non-public session. So I'll continue to move us along. We have one item, one limited uh, 
contract compliance audit on our agenda today. This is item number 12. Uh, Glenn and Dan, can please proceed with the report? So, Commissioner, um, I will introduce it and then I'll hand it over sure. to Dan. Uh, <laughs> and um, essentially, Dan and his work did the team. The, I mean, Dan and his team did the work, I'm sorry. So, um, you know, it's concessionaires, as we talked about, are a big part of our audit plan. And uh, this is one of the larger concessionaires. Like I mentioned earlier, we're focusing to small on small ones going forward. But you know, if you look at the revenues of this lease, they're huge. And, and gross revenues, um, $30 million per year for each contract. Um, so um, you know, w when we look at these, we look at the variety of stores that under uh, the Hudson Group, which is the lease is under Seattle Air Ventures, but you see Hudson throughout the airport, and there are 15 stores, and are they reporting everything to us correctly and paying us correctly? And that's the gist of this um, audit. Next slide, please. Yeah, so with that, before, before I hand it over to Dan, we did find an exception. Dan's going to talk about it. Relatively small, but easy fixes, and, and, and that's the reason we do these, just to clean up. Uh, a lot of this revenue is self-reported, so there's nobody else checking them. They send us you know, uh, their numbers, and they say, hey, this is what we're paying you. And we go in, we look at their books and records and their financial statements, and make sure that make, we make sure that it ties out to what they're actually paying us. So uh, with that, it's... Sure, yeah, so I'll go into the, the medium-rated issue. So um, the contract requires an annual report of gross sales for the prior year to be accompanied um, by a signed certificate from an independent CPA firm. It can also be the CFO, it can also be the CEO. In this case, it was the CPA firm. Um, so what we did is we compared what the CPA had reported as gross revenues uh, to what had previously been reported to our AFR team. Um, and we found a difference of $142,600. Um, the CPA firm re reflected a higher amount. Um, and so we were in discussions with our AFR team, our ADR team, um, and reached out to um, Seattle Air Ventures. Um, what we were told is that there's advertising revenue that wasn't captured in their point of sale data. It was a top-sided entry in their general ledger. Um, the, the amounts, so intuitively that makes sense. The amounts didn't tie out uh, exactly. Um, there were also some differences when we compared the point of sale data to the general ledger uh, month by month. There were also differences, and they've provided us, you know, an email that says, you know, we, we generally think that these, this is related to the advertising income. But we would hope, and what we'd like to see is documentation that, you know, ties it out to the exact penny. Um, in, in my professional opinion, I think what, what, I, what might be causing it is that, as Glenn mentioned, we have 15 stores that we looked over a two-year period, and so we couldn't, we just didn't have the capacity to look at every single store for that two-year period. So what we, what we did is we looked at four stores for three months. What could happen is those journal entries that, that have occurred may have, um, maybe truing up some, some that three months that where we had those discrepancies. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, we're going to ask for documentation to, you know, to tie those out. So, um, 
any rate, so uh, take questions now, unless, Glenn, you have anything else you want to add? Let's talk about the recommendation. Yeah, so the recommendation is simply that we're going to continue to work with our ADR partners um, and, you know, look to um, tie out specifically the variances that we came across. So. And airport dining and retail have provided a management response as well. Right, That's yeah. And they're here, they're here if you have any, you know, further questions for them, but... Thank you both for the presentation. Are there any questions from the committee members? All right, so I'll move us along. Thank you yep. both for, for presenting on that. This concludes actually our business agenda for the day. Mr. Fernandez, do you have any closing comments for today? Uh, commissioners, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you. I, kn I know you and Commissioner Cho have been on for, you know, two years for you, three years for Commissioner Cho, and I just want to thank you for everything that you've done for the committee. You know, Sarah will continue on, and I thank her, too, for her service and her volunteering. But, you know, I, I know you're still part of audit, even though you're in the bigger commission, mm -hmm. and, pres and as you move on to be president of the commission, um, just uh, truly, from all of us, we appreciate everything that you've done. That's my closing comment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Are there any closing comments from the committee members? Yeah, I'm happy to make some closing remarks. Um, it's been a great couple of years being on the audit committee. Um, you know, I, I joined the audit committee originally thinking that it would be a great way for me to learn more about the board. Uh, and now I feel like I know way too much about the board. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the work that your team does uh, Glenn is you guys are like the unsung heroes of our organization to be candid because you know it's you put us through some uncomfortable exercises for a lot of departments but at the end of the day I think everyone understands that it it's all comes from a good place and that we're not you're not the boogeyman coming after us but you're just there to really make us better uh, so I just want to express my appreciation for you your team all that you guys do I'm gonna miss being on this committee but I can definitely foresee myself being back on the committee um, in the coming years. Uh, and so I look forward to that day. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for keeping us on track. Great. Uh, I echo those same sentiments as Commissioner uh, Cho. I have enjoyed being on this committee. It's one of my favorite committees. I like to tell a lot of people that. <laughs> Um, you all do a great job in making sure that you're providing good oversight on this public organization that's in place to serve the public and um, helping us be really good stewards of public dollars. And so I've, I've enjoyed serving on this committee. I intend to continue to support this work in my commission role as part of the larger group. And so I hope to, I look forward to seeing um, audit reports and information coming through uh, through the, the whole uh, commission for us to continue these conversations that we're having. So while I may not be on the committee next year, I, I still look forward to engaging with you all. So since I'm hearing no further uh, discussions or comments, I will officially close us out. We are now in, re we're gonna recess into the non-public portion of the meeting and the time is 11.50 to discuss one audit related to security sensitive information. The non-public portion of the meeting will last approximately 30 minutes and the meeting will adjourn with no further business after that. 
Participants joining the non-public portion of the meeting via Microsoft Teams, please close out of this meeting link and join the 12 p.m. Uh, Teams meeting invitation. For everyone joining in the physical meeting room here, please proceed to the third floor conference room 3CC01. The current time is now 11.50 still a.m. Thank you all. Thank you.